People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. I thought that Eric was the last. I never imagined there would be another. It's another time. It's another world. And another has been chosen. Welcome to Pop Culture Historians, everybody. It's another week of 90s superhero movies. My name is Ryan Ritter. That's Jimmy McShane on the line. Jimmy, how are you this uh, slightly spooky evening? Oh, <laughs> uh, as we record this, it is um, in the 90s, so. Yeah, I know. It's not spooky at all. It's the is not the, not the vibe for this movie. No, I know. Like, we're in the middle of summer. Where I live, it's like 107. Uh, <laughs> so, it, it, maybe not the best time to watch this movie. That is very centered uh, on Halloween and uh, Dia de los Muertos uh, in particular. I say centered. I don't, it's more, it features. Yeah, it, it comes up. It's a, it's a part of the final set piece. That's true. That's true. And uh, that movie, of course, is... Uh, the Crow, City of Angels. Released in 1996. It's another sequel as a, as a, fits this genre the superhero people, movie genre feels like the wrong wrong term because this feels like more feels like they're trying to make the crow a bit of an anthology series you know because it, it doesn't follow up the last one at all which is kind of like the same concept again yeah no it's basically like a remake of the first and there's a and there's a story there um as okay. as, as a screenwriter would uh I say have us believe. I only say that because I only have his side of the story. I have no reason to not believe it, but um, we only have one side of it. Uh, yeah, Crow, City of Angels, uh, release date August thirtieth, nineteen ninety six. So, not not super far from when we're actually recording this. So, th- there's another kind of weird little thing about it. Yeah, I definitely um, feel like you want to have this come out in October or even November, like some somewhere in the fall or winter. It's a fall movie for sure. This yeah. is not like this is not like a whiz bang. But at the same time, this is the era of the summer blockbuster, right? 
Yes, absolutely. So, that's definitely a big part of it. Uh, there's two things I want to knock out before we uh, get into general thoughts. Uh, one, I realize, uh, I, I, I don't know, if, I think for people following along, uh, what we're doing here is clear. But for, for those who may have been like, oh, I remember the Crow City of Angels, or like, hey, I listened to like maybe our Batman Forever episode, or one of our Superman or Batman episodes, and they're like, I like what they're doing. Uh, what else are they going? We're going through the superhero genre chronologically. We started all the way back in the 30s and 40s with like the superhero uh, serials of, of Yawn. Uh, and sometimes Y-A-W-N. Some of them were kind of boring. Um, <laughs> and we worked our way to the 70s, 80s, and now we're in the uh, mid-90s. A very weird, interesting, kind of formative time uh, for the superhero genre. Uh, major... Definitely some growing pains, I would argue. Yeah, especially, I mean, with the power of, um, you know, hindsight. Like, we know that, like, stuff like Blade and X-Men and Spider-Man are, like... Not far off, but without that knowledge, it kind of seems like it's uh, kind of flailing about a little bit, trying to find some sort of identity or uh, formula. Um, Definitely formula, I would say. Yeah. So I wanted to establish that for any newcomers. Number two, you know, we're not so good about always uh, summarizing uh, the synopses of these movies. We kind of just launch right in. So excited we are, which is why we enlisted the help of. A film critic who is basically like a film uh, synopsis guy, in my opinion. And I mean that with love. Uh, that movie critic is Leonard Malton, which means we are starting a new edition of Lenny's Film Quarter. So what we do, I pull out my copy of Leonard Malton's 2010 movie guide. My, you know, my, my trusted assistant here on my end of the call. Uh, we're going to pull up his review, we're going to read it, and then we're going to launch into our general thoughts from there. But Jimmy, like I always do, again, his, his, uh, he has a four-star scale. Uh, one star is bomb, and then it goes one and a half, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, four. What do you think Leonard Malton gave 1996's Crow, City of Angels? I can't recall what he gave the original Crow. Well, um, let me pull that. Will it be helpful if I, if I uh, give you that information? I would like to know it before going in, yes. Okay. He gave the original Crow three stars, which is mm. higher than I would have given it. But it doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what Leonard thinks here. That's true. Uh, so, uh, hmm. I don't think he's going to be as high as he was on that one. So that's the ceiling, three stars. I'm going to mm. guess, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll go with two. It, sh- it should be noted his scale goes from one star, which he calls a bomb, the four stars, which is the best you can get going by half stars. So I think it's going to be two steps down from that and Lenny's ranking. You summarized that way better than I could have, by the way. I like that. Um, I'm looking at his rating. and uh, Is this Leonard Malton's guide or is this uh, Robert J. Oppenheimer's guide? Because he gave it a bomb. <laughs> what a topical reference that won't be so topical when this airs yeah this a movie that will probably be on streaming by the time we put this movie out, this episode out um wow you give us a bomb bomb all right, bomb all right. i mm-hmm. again my uh my lenny predictive skills are awful you you got it right on the head last episode with the phantom um, yeah but i mean law of averages says i should get at least one or two <laughs> 
Uh, Crow, City of Angels, bomb. Uh, anemic follow-up to the Crow concerning a murdered man who returns to life in order to seek revenge on those who killed him and his cute young son. If, <laughs> if you last to the end of the film, you'll be wishing he stayed six feet under. <laughs> Vincent Perez is as grating as the nonstop soundtrack. That's what Leonard Malton thought of Crow, City of Angels. Hmm. So we have that established. So now I ask you, why don't we jump into our general thoughts? And I ask you, what did you think of Crow City of Angels? Is Leonard being too hard? Is he right on the money? Somewhere in between? There was nothing good about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't even like so bad it was entertaining. It was was just that perfect badness where there was really no entertainment value from it. Because it wasn't so... Um, incompetent that you could laugh at it but it also nothing about it was good like there was nothing I looked back and said like well at least they did this well or at least they did that well it, it, it felt like everything was bad about this movie <laughs> from, from but not terrible but not, but not so bad it was it was fun like, kind of, yeah, it, it was competently Meyer. terrible yeah. it was competently terrible I like that which is the worst thing I think a movie can be yeah, I mean, even Barbed Wire had, like, camp value, and that was a movie where I was, like, I almost felt bad putting it on the list once it was over. Um, but yeah. at least that had, like, midnight movie kind of It did, and it had, a, it. it had a good structure. They stole, because they stole the structure from one of the best movies ever made, but nonetheless, yeah, still had a good <laughs> but, structure. But if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? I mean, true. Um yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was famously pretty low on the crow. Um, I think on the episode that we recorded about the crow, it said that it crossed my mind as I was watching it that it was the worst movie we had watched for this show. It, that that's mm-hmm. a that's a statement that I backed off of as the movie went along. And by the time we were recording the episode, I was, I was nowhere near that cliff. I still didn't like it very much. It's not a movie that was really made for like what I like and my uh, my aesthetic and what I. What I enjoy from the medium, but I uh, I feel like I need to uh, give it an apology because I, I I so now I I mean this sincerely I so now see what made that first one work because here's a movie that is trying to do the same thing again, and it's like shitty like it's like really <laughs> really bad, <laughs> and you realize it's missing for all the I mean you're right it is comp like it's not like it's it's frequently in focus right like the sound is mixed okay like stuff like that this is not like it's not like the room right where it's like well and and actors from this movie have done other things where they've been good several people have gone on like everyone in this has had like long lucrative careers (laughs) pretty much right and so i mean it's, it's it's not like they're all like completely untalented i might argue the director might not be talented but Everyone else involved yeah. were talented. Yeah. Um, and the director's at least trying. He, he didn't phone this movie in. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. It just, yeah. But, but nothing works. And I don't know exactly. Well, I have some thoughts. I mean, we'll get to that, I guess. But what were you saying? Yeah, well, I was going to say Tim Pope, the director of this movie. Uh, music yeah. video director, which probably won't surprise you. Um uh yeah and a, and a and a script by david s goyer which is a name 
we will be talking about him a lot going yeah, forward. Yeah, he to the point where I'm almost tempted to jump ahead to what's typically at the end of these episodes. Uh, where we talk about, we give our superlatives out and for people who haven't listened before at the end of these episodes, we give out MVP trophies for the movie and like best moment, worst moment, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Our talking point is usually like lasting effect on the genre. And we can save this here, but I, I don't know we how can, I, yeah. We can call an audible. Let's, let's talk about the lasting effect on genre. Uh, David, this is David S. Goyer's kind of first real entry into like the uh, silver screen genre. I mean, he, he had mm-hmm. re- previously written like a the script to uh, a TV movie that we can't talk about because it was a TV movie for Fox in 1988. And it's a shame because it's uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. starring David uh, Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. Okay, I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen it. Not in our purview, which is a shame. Although, if we ever get to the Patreon stage of this show, I think the TV movies and like the forgotten movies could be an interesting uh, thing to put behind the paywall. But until that time, uh, it's off the table. Um, but this is like his first entry into like the superhero genre. And as you just said, we are going to be talking about him quite a bit going forward. And maybe, sneakily, one of the biggest influences on how the genre feels as a whole now. I mean, not the Marvel end of it, like the kind of quippy, all interconnected stuff. Like that, he had, didn't have much to do with that. But like, he touched... The Blade trilogy. Let's, he touched the Batman Nolan movies. Yeah, let's 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 like, list it's, his it's superhero crazy. writing credit because he's got a lot. I mean, do you yeah, have it in front go. of me? I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it in front of me. Okay. I can I can get it if you give me a second. In fact, yeah. I can. Fill problem, time. problem is, I'm on my phone and something. The app keeps changing the rules. If I ever exit the window that I'm on, it cuts me out. It didn't used to do that. I used to be able to like look at a different web page and come back. That's um, so that, when that's I cut tough. out. Yeah, when I cut out, that's what's happening, and I don't know why. Got <laughs> it. You didn't used to do that. All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. He wrote 1998's Blade. He wrote Blade 2. He wrote and directed Blade Trinity. He wrote Batman Begins. He has story credit on The Dark Knight. He wrote Ghostwriter, Spirit of Vengeance. Story credit on The Dark Knight Rises. He wrote Man of Steel. He, I don't, he, I don't think he was sole writer for uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice but yeah he definitely had a hand on that uh, and he was an executive producer on uh, let's see Blade 2 Ghost Rider 2 Batman v Superman uh, those are I mean I don't like a lot of those movies but it's they all made a lot of money and they are influential to the tone that studios are still trying to chase I mean low key he is maybe <laughs> He's arguably one of the bigger driving forces uh, on the genre, in my opinion. So it sounds like Batman vs. Superman killed his uh, film career a little bit. Least, uh, a little bit. Think. I mean, he, he didn't move over to, like, non-superhero stuff like TV. Um, like, I think he's, he's an exec producer on, like, a, like the Sandman. And I think he's a big part of, like, Foundation. Like, we're in the streaming era now where, like, there's shows you've never heard of have, like, have, like five seasons. Yeah, and, like, they true, star, like... But yeah, the super, as far as the superhero stuff goes, it kind of ends there. I guess Sandman I mean, is comic, comic book related. Comic book related. And it's also DC. Because after Blade, he seems like he's mostly DC, doing DC stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, of course, we'll get to it when we get there. But Batman vs. Superman ended, <laughs> ended the relationship between Warner Brothers and a lot of people. But Yeah, it... it I'm curious to get to those episodes and for any, 
any Snyder fan tonight be listening to this, like, I don't know that they're going to be like an entire, I don't think it's going to be like, it's going to be a negative episode, but I don't think it's going to be like a, we're not, we're not going to be unfair to it. I don't think. And it's also been a while since I've seen it. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So like, don't, Having, don't be, we're not, yeah. we're not going to mock you for like, liking what you like. Like, don't worry about that. Like, <laughs> um, but we're not talking yeah. about that right now. In fact, we'll be talking about that for a while. We are on the mostly forgotten Crow City of Angels. Crow City of Angels, a movie that I didn't even have on our list for a while. I, I had it in my head that all Crow sequels were direct to video from here on out, and that's not true. This had not only did this have a theatrical release, it aired at the end of summer, like end of August, beginning of September, and which is a kind of a week, traditionally a pretty weak uh, week for <laughs> a week week. <laughs> for uh the box office so it was soft enough that it actually opened at number one its first week it was downhill from there but technically speaking it was they could say it was the number one movie in america for one brief weekend in 1996 yeah that's true um and yeah which is which is a big deal for a lot of studios to be able to say mm-hmm. um but what was his box office growth that's a good question. I also noticed uh, David S. Goyer. I forgot about this. He's a guy we've actually like seen talk in person uh, at the Comic Con in 2009. We went to. Uh, he spoke at the Flash Forward panel because he was a writer and producer on that show. Oh were... wow! Yeah, yeah. We've, we've seen him in the flesh. I definitely forgot about that. Well, it's good. I was, was so it... excited. I was so excited for Flash Forward, and that show was not good. It's so funny. Opinion. One of these days, and it, it, we can't do a podcast series on it because someone's actually already doing it. But like, I would love to dive into like all like the lost clones that came out. Mm-hmm. Like, they were supposed to be like the next lost. Um, Flash Forward was definitely one of those. Do you remember that show, The Nine? I I remember it existing, but I never watched it. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was like definitely supposed to be like the next lost, and like you didn't even make it like one season. Um, you didn't make it nine episodes, probably. Uh, I bet it didn't. <laughs> Uh, its total box office gross was $25 million, which is not great. I don't have its... Uh, no. I don't have Especially its for budget. a movie that opened up at number one. Right. And, like, it, again, it's a follow-up to a movie that was well-liked. I mean, The Crow, and I have my opinions on it, but it, it, it was influential to a generation. I think that that's inarguable. And um, generally well-liked. Again, Leonard Maltin gave it three stars. I, I don't get the impression that's like an outlier opinion, really. And no, uh, it, it definitely has a good reputation. It's definitely well-liked. You know, it, we talked pretty extensively about how it's mostly remembered, not mostly, but largely remembered because the tragic uh, fatal accident to Brandon Lee. Mm-hmm. Um it was also one of the reasons why the movie was watchable. You know, uh, Brandon Lee was a big part of the movie's success, both financially and also, like, critically. Like, people enjoyed it, I think, because they really liked his performance. Yeah. And definitely difficult to fill in those shoes here. Um, yeah, Vincent Perez is not a good replacement for Brandon Lee. No. And it will, that's, that's, that's like the, that's the thesis statement, at least we can d- dive into why exactly here in a second, but no, it's a poor comparison. And it also misses uh, Ernie Hudson. I don't, there's not really like a, cause it was lacking. Yeah. It was lacking that really strong veteran actor presence. 
That's what it is. Yeah, there's not like this, this movie doesn't really have like a ringer in it. Well, I guess Iggy Pop, I guess, sort of a sort of. A <laughs> the problem is, you know, I like Iggy Pop. Uh, we haven't gone to the cast notes yet. Obviously, no, but... he's more well known for his music than his acting. <laughs> yes, um, but he is the only veteran presence in this movie. And... Yeah, he's the only guy who's like. <laughs> Because he's he's been working since like this. I mean, not as an actor, but at least in front of like entertaining audiences. He's been performing, right? Yeah, performing since like the Stooges. I think late sixties when they first started making their their records. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I got I got I got I got to save my Iggy Pop stuff for later because I have a lot, but I don't want to I don't want to okay I don't want to unload my whole clip here yet. (laughs) Okay, fair Um, enough. But uh, But I agree. I was thinking the same thing. It was missing Ernie Hudson. Not that they literally need to bring Ernie Hudson back. They need a Ernie Hudson, uh, Hudson type performer in this movie. Someone to kind of hold it all together. Because I think Mia Kirshner is kind of playing that role, but um, she's fine. I mean, we have. I mean, we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about her in a second. But it's not it's it's not it's not the same th- kind of thing. Like no. And this is kind of where the script lets the movie down too. I think. Yeah. If that was her role, she needed to do more in this film than nothing. Then get captured. Yeah, no, it was a total let the and then like dies. <laughs> yeah. Um let's talk about the script. Um yeah. so here's here's kind of how it went down according to David S. Goyer. The intent I mean, Miramax fast tracked a sequel, which probably shouldn't be super surprising it's nonsensical but it's not surprising considering that the movie probably off the backs of kind of tragedy and kind of getting some clout uh, as a result of that and it being not that bad <laughs> i mean people liked it so they made a yeah, uh, people liked it yeah. our opinions aside it's a well-liked yeah. movie yeah so i guess the sequel is probably more inevitable than logical so they they fast tracked that i mean that movie came out in 1994 and this movie came out in 1996 which isn't like a crazy amount of turnaround time but no it's not. it's it's quick uh the original idea was to make a movie very different from the first crow one of the first ideas they brought to the table was what if uh what if we cast a girl as the crow which i think is not an invalid idea because it makes it, it instantly makes it different. I think one of the original ideas was maybe make the girl character be the girl from the first movie, Sarah Moore, whose name I only know because check this out. I I, I can't tell if I'm just stupid, or if I missed something, or if the movie was that incoherent. Sarah Moore is Mia Kirshner's character. That's the that's the girl from the first movie. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, that was my reaction too when I found that out. Well, they never explicitly make mention of it. It does explain how she knew about the crow. It does um, clarify things a little bit, but it's sad that yeah. like a Wikipedia article had to do that for me. <laughs> well, part of the problem is I didn't actually remember the character's name. Sure. And so, okay, so that's supposed to be the so, same character. That's the same they, character. They should have clarified that. I agree. Um, well, I think a lot of that might have got lost in the edit. So, obviously, well, we've seen the cut out half yeah. the movie, probably. Yeah, so we've seen we've seen the we've seen the movie now, and obviously a girl does not play uh, uh, the crow. There's a there's a guy playing the crow who looks a lot, who kind of in in looks only, and I mean that in the makeup, 
looks a lot like Brandon Lee, which they didn't really want to do. But that was a studio. That was a studio. That was a studio decision. That studio, of course, being Miramax, and that decision coming from one of the great villains in uh, Hollywood, Harvey Weinstein. Right. We don't need a. No, we don't need to track all the terrible things he's done. No, not not gonna. Um, was not on my list of things to do. Okay. Um, the original cut of this movie, allegedly, as you mentioned, is, you know, this, this feels like the movie is cut down a lot. Yes, it was. According to David S. Goyer, the original cut of this movie was two hours and 40 minutes. The uh, version we That's watched was about, was about 84 minutes. So about wow. roughly half. So maybe all that Sarah Moore connective tissue was junked for, I don't know, more Iggy Pop? I don't know, more... <laughs> <laughs> More incoherent action sequences? I don't know. You know, okay, something I will say, you know, obviously we, neither of us like this movie. I don't think making it twice as long would have made it good. No, and part of that, of course, it's kind of like the whole, like, you know, whenever like Josh Whedon is attached to a project that he wrote for and ended up being bad, he's always like, well, my original script was good, and then they messed with it. That's always going to be your stance, right? Because there's no way to prove right, it. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but some, one criticism I did have of this movie was the dialogue was no one like just sat down and talked to each other. Like all the dialogue was this, like loosely philosophical, like one liners and like people looking at each other, but no, no one actually talked to each other like human beings. No, like, you're dead on. There were scenes like that in the original cut that, that someone decided weren't worth keeping or something. Stuff like that could have improved this movie. There's no scene in here because what we kept coming back to and what I think kind of sold us on the movie a little bit, there's no scene in this, like there is in The Crow, where it's just The Crow and um, Ernie Hudson's police character. I don't remember his name. Just sitting down and talking and kind of trading life stories and experiences. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we get like the it's only the little things that matter, every single one, which is a nice, nice little line. And uh, there's nothing like that in here at all. No. It, it, or another one close. you, right? Another one you talked about is um, is um, you uh, there's a scene between Ernie Hudson and the crow earlier when he was like after he blew up something, and mm-hmm. um. It was just a scene between them just talking and where they kind of introduce each other. Right. That was, I mean, nothing like that here. It felt for all the world. And I had to, the movie felt like two things to me. Uh, First, I had to double check a couple of times while watching this to make sure it actually had a theatrical release. (laughs) Because it sure sure feels like a direct-to-VHS movie. Yeah, That's number one. Number two, what it really felt like, it felt structured like if there was like a crow video game. Like all the dialogue scenes felt like video game dialogue. Um, and all the action, it, it's kind of structured like, okay, go fight this bad guy. Defeated. Get a little scene. Go to right. fight yeah. the next bad guy. Get a little scene. And then here's it. It felt like if someone, like, if there was like a crow video game from like 2003 or something, and then someone like cut up all the scenes for like a YouTube video. That's kind of what this is to me. I, I can see that. I can I can definitely see that. And of course, video games are a new burgeoning uh, genre, mm-hmm. and so um, that that could be could have been intentional. 
That's true. I mean, 1996, I think the PlayStation and the N64 are out by now, which are ancient machines at this point. But at the mm-hmm. time, we're like, oh, wow, there's real there's new possibilities for this genre. Right. Uh, yeah, so who knows? I mean, who knows? I mean, David S. Goyer, of course, is always going to be able to, like, talk up his own work. And there's no way to approve it because I don't think there's, like, a Tim Pope cut flying around anywhere. I could be wrong. Um, but I, I'm willing to... I. I think there is a large amount of truth to his story. It's the only way that the movie as it currently stands makes sense. And it is worth mentioning. The only Goyer, Goyer, and, Pope have, yeah, Goyer and Pope have both like disowned the movie. Like they've distanced themselves from it, which I would Again, do. Not, but also not surprising given how unlike it was. Yes. So that's their story. That's, that's what I got for the script and like kind of the making of. Here. The, the only pushback I have on this and maybe there is just a big subplot completely missing because like the plot's rail thin here it's not like I felt like it didn't feel like anything was missing plot wise yes you're right and so it's, it's hard for me to imagine this movie being almost twice as long <laughs> when when it's not like I felt like anything was missing from the plot yeah that's a good point I'm trying to think of maybe they had Maybe they had more henchmen. I don't know. They had more henchmen, or you know, maybe it was just because because you know, it's hard not to compare a sequel to the original. I mean, like, that's just part one, of the game, right? Right. One 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 comparison I had too was in the first Crow, you you kind of like spend a little bit of time with the henchmen, like independent of scenes with the Crow, where you kind of got to know them before you went hunt down and killed them, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Maybe stuff like that was missing from this, you know, just scenes of people doing stuff. Maybe not necessarily plot wise, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, there might have been like eighty more minutes of them in like those nasty like BDSM dungeons or whatever. I don't know. It's true. I that mean, stuff all really sucked and was bad yes, and unpleasant in like a really like faux edgy way. This felt really kind of nineties in that sense of like. This is what an edgy movie does. Like we're in dungeons and we're pouring wax and stuff. And he all... likes to cause people pain. Yeah, it's no. Like, I... Whoa, dude! Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me to say. Like, I I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time, it's hard for me to say. Like, making this movie twice as long makes it better when like it felt too long at <laughs> an hour and a half. It, uh, t- full disclosure, it took me like I had to watch this like in three segments because it was just it was that unengaging. And like again, I was like 84 minutes. This is gonna be a breeze. It is not. <laughs> it is not a breeze. Yeah. So no, it's 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 awful. Um, if I had anything resembling a positive comment, I think somewhere deep down, I, I again, the movie is set in Los Angeles, City of Angels. Um, mm-hmm. There is sort of a toxicity to its depiction of LA that I think could be intriguing. This isn't the movie for it, but like this, Goyer clearly has opinions on uh, LA as a city, and I, I, I it's it's this dark and nasty not my thing. But I, I have to wonder if like there is a version, if there's a movie for him to make that can kind of see this through in a non-crow context i'm just i don't know i'm just there, there's clearly demons there and I'd, I'd, I'd like to know more about like what's going on with them there on that because <laughs> it's very clear like you show up in this town and like the occult like the occult like take your souls and like they whip you and beat you and it's like 
all right, man. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know. It's not really, I, I think there's an artistic idea there somewhere. That's about as, that's just about as far as I'm willing to extend a complimentary tone towards this movie. That's fair. Um, though it, it's probably the first movie to be about how um, soulless and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, vicious, parasitic? Parasitic, but also um, not deviant, but like deviant maybe. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of the word I'm looking for. I, I, get, I, get, what, I get what you're trying to circle around though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, you know, and I agree. There's there's some subtext there that he's trying for, um, but that's part of the problem. It's not exactly original subtext, and it's not exactly done in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Right. But other than that, man, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll we can talk about performances when we get into the cast notes, and I guess I guess we're sort of approaching that moment uh, yeah. quickly. I guess. We, yeah. Why don't we just do that? We'll just, yeah, we'll run into it. Why don't we just start with the guy at the top, Vincent Perez, who plays uh, our new crow. Oh, that's what it was. Um, really quickly, you mentioned this. They did have a kind of turn it into like an anthology series. I don't think that's an invalid concept for the crow. I think it may be the only way to make a series out of the crow. Because obviously you can't bring back the Brandon Lee character. I mean, I guess you could recast him, but the story's done. Yeah, the story's it's, done. There's no need to, especially because it's kind of set up. That idea that Crow does is more than one. I've done this more than once throughout history, like a bunch of times. Yeah, I mean, like, it, so it makes sense. Like, I think that part of it is it's it's an interesting approach for a sequel, and it, it I think it's what all the subsequent ones do. But uh, man, it just <laughs> just didn't need to exist. That was my only thought. Is like I, the, the anthology idea isn't a bad one. That's all. Again, almost approaching a compliment. <laughs> Vincent Perez has our new crow, Ash Corvin. <laughs> I hate the name too. I just I, Ash Crow. It's, I was like they wanted to call him Ash Crow Man or something, but then they like, <laughs> talked themselves out of it. Uh, I guess Corbin's probably better than Crow Man, but yeah, probably only only slightly though. A uh, popular Swiss actor who I believe is making his English speaking debut in this movie. I don't mean like he's speaking English for the first time, but like a U.S. movie or a U.S. Mm. funded movie, at least. Right. Um, let's see, go on to star in 2002's Queen of the Damned, which I think was a big movie for a lot of uh, vampire kids in high school. That's like the interview with the vampire sequel, I think. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, he made it big in the 1990 French adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac. He was not like he's without credentials or merit i mentioned that because i thought he was really bad in this oh i agree i did not understand what his performance was going for it almost feels like it it goes for camp quite often but then he goes into these like it's a brutal story about like his kid getting killed as leonard malton mentioned and like he plays those with like full-born uh sincerity but then, like, the fight scenes are, like, campy. Like, he's the Joker or something. Yeah. He's, like... You, you can't tell if he's, like, brain damaged or... <laughs> sometimes he doesn't seem like he plays it like he's brain damaged. And other times mm-hmm. he's, like, trying to be charming. And other times, like... like Something something that doesn't make sense. Like, there's a whole scene where, like, he's, like, I don't... What if you don't want to leave? And they kind of don't, like... 
really come back to that. Right. Maybe that's an aspect um, that got cut. I won't move on to guarantee it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hacky bit because you're right. That that is like an interesting. Again, not a, not a, not an uninteresting concept, but mm-hmm. it's just it's just there as lip service, and I don't know if something got cut or if they just like forgot. I mean, I feel like either is possible here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that that would have been a way to differentiate him from the first crow. Um, I know it's like a hacky bit to say like anyone speaking English and like a thick European accent sounds like Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. He doesn't not sound like him sometimes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't, he's. It, it is one of those things that like made me really kind of retroactively appreciate what Brandon Lee brought to his performance. I kind of slept on him a little bit because I was just like Ernie Hudson's the guy in The Crow, I think. But this made me kind of miss the kind of soft touch Brandon Lee had to the first one because uh, it's gone and it it kills the movie more than almost any other factor I can think of. I mean. It is possible Brandon Lee could have possibly saved this movie, even with its dunderheaded script. It's possible. It's possible. Um, I mean, a good actor really can elevate a, mo- a movie, mm-hmm. and a bad actor can really sink one. Yep. So yeah, he was really awful. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Like he, it's a weird, bizarre performance that takes you out of it every single time he says a line. <laughs> It's the worst thing you could possibly want for a lead. Yep. And it's a shame because it seems like he, I mean, he does well in his home country. Like he has like a lot of credits that are pretty esteemed. I just, this wasn't it. Uh, and you know, and if I, only thing I could say to his defense is the unknown, the hypothetical. It's possible. Like this is what Tim Pope asked him to do. Like you, you did a scene a certain way and Pope was like, no, I think, I think your Ash would um, tilt his head to the side like a confused young boy. <laughs> there's a lot you know, of that. There's a lot of that. And so like, it's possible it's not really his fault. It's possible. Like, I think I said, I thought everyone in this movie at least had some talent outside the movie, the director. I, I think a lot of this falls on him. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, guess. I don't get the sense that Tim Pope, again, music video director, which I think kind of shows in this. Yeah. I don't get the sense that like he's great with working with actors, which is a different skill. Not something you really need in music video directing, in my opinion. Because um, yeah, he almost again. These are all people who did other things, things you've all heard of, and it's like a career worst performance from like all of them almost. Right, and so that kind of drags you back to the guy who has never had another directing credit and was mm-hmm. at least not for a feature film. So not that I could see. I could be wrong. Um, In fact, it, it it makes you wonder how committed uh, Miramax was to this franchise, giving this guy this movie. That's a good point. Um, I don't recall liking the direction on uh, the first movie that much either. But and it was kind of it was kind of a similar situation where it was given to a music video director. But why not mm-hmm. give it to him again, or give it to someone who is more established, who has more experience? It's a good point. Uh, what about Mia Kirshner, who again plays the grown-up Sarah Moore, 
not that I am so relieved. Man, that, like, I, I'm so relieved that you didn't catch that either because it's not evident in the movie at all. Well, I did. I did wonder, like, how does she know about the crow? And I was like, OK, well, maybe she just knows. Like, she, she has dreams. Right. She just, you know, I was just like, OK, maybe this is not something they're not going to explain. It, it never right. once occurred because she's 13 years old. Right. The original crow. Right. And this takes place two years. This came out two years later. Right. And she's, but no, no indication that, like, 20s. yeah, yeah, she's like a grown woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it never once occurred to me that, that it might be the same character. Uh, let's see. Uh, Canadian actress, prolific uh, main character on the L Word, uh, currently in the modern Star Trek universe, uh, uh, as I see. Uh, we know her. I'm behind, so. Yeah. Um, we know her primarily as the recurring assassin Mandy on 24. <laughs> Uh, a character that they just kept bringing back for some reason. She was good, but just she was never really connected to anything. I so think I think because they just had her for a small role in the first season, and then the actress went on to do other things. So they're like, let's just keep bringing her back. You know why not? Yeah, and there's some things to be said about like people who like just bad guys have like no allegiance whatsoever. They're just there for like a job. I don't know. Uh, that's kind of kind of kind of for functions. You would just show up as like the assassin in something, and you're like, oh mm-hmm. shit. Uh, she's fine in this. She's, I don't know. Um, I'd be curious to see what an expanded version of this role for her would be like, because there's just nothing for her to do, really. Um, Not after the first 20 minutes. It's all her in the beginning. Yes. Which also makes sense, given that she's a returning character from the original, but Mm -hmm. I, man... Of just a little bit of like context would have helped. It might have made me like it a little bit more in the beginning. I would have been more invested. Yeah, I was like off board this movie like almost from the jump. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard to find anything really to say about her. Um, I think she also doesn't have all the same personality. It doesn't no. feel like the same character. She might have the same name, and, it, and people change. So yeah, but like it doesn't feel like the same character. Not at all. Anything. Not at all. Yeah. And you would think if there was like the whole thing was like we gotta we gotta build this off the crow. You think you would have at least padded the screen time with like a couple flashbacks to the original movie well, or something. That's what I mean. Like like have it start off with like her her reminiscing because she has a voiceover in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which was not a very good voiceover. But that's not her fault. No. No. But yeah, there's a voiceover here. Why not talk about like it's not the first time I've met a crow. Yeah, yeah. Right. I want to say better than that, but the dialogue wasn't better than that. But, Honestly, that, that's um, about on that's about on level with like a lot of the dialogue yeah. in this, and we'll get into that um, when we get to best line, which is <laughs> maybe more sarcastic in meaning this time around. Uh, here we go. Richard Brooks as Judah Earl, our main villain, um, who I know primarily as the assistant DA on the first couple seasons of Law and Order. Mr. Paul Robinette. Uh, oh. I think I think most people are probably gonna know him from uh, his appearance in the uh, de facto series finale of Firefly, uh, the, the the bounty hunter, I believe. Ah, Jubal Early. Um, I thought he was great in this. <laughs> Sincerely, oh, I didn't like him at all. You really? Okay, explain. Yeah. I mean, are you? 
He has a really nice voice, I think. It was a weird thing to say. But... That's, re- that's really all it is. He has yeah. like, a nice voice, and I think he has a nice, quiet presence, which I think, compared to everyone else, made him stand out like crazy. I thought he was... I think that's why he popped out to me. I don't know. I, I guess I felt... I didn't... The whole, like, quiet psycho thing, I don't know. It was just, like... I thought he was too quiet. Interesting. Okay. Um, I don't know. I... I had a very different reaction than he did, obviously. And obviously, he's a good actor. I mean, other things. But I did not like his acting choices in this movie very much, personally. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to send. I'm going to send a group of uh, the henchmen to come kill you, and then the crow will Fair find enough. you, and then you'll kill me <laughs> over this. I think. And them um, as well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not even trying to understand what the character is supposed to be. Because he, he's, he's like a psychopath. He, he's, right? he's vaguely he's vaguely a cultist, right? Like, yeah. And they kind of I frame mean, him as like the devil at the end, right? After he gets like the because he kills he like kills the crow and like takes its powers, which whatever. Um, and he's kind of like I'm like the devil to like your angel, which also doesn't really track. But like that's what they're trying to set him up as, right? He's like Satan, basically. Yeah, maybe, and maybe this is something that was left off the table, but like as a tempter. I don't recall him tempting people, but he is into like all the vices, right? Drugs, mm-hmm. you know, prostitution. He's like sitting all... there watching people get like whipped on like tables. And right. Stuff. Yeah. So, so maybe he is supposed to be, maybe he was, maybe that's something I missed. He was supposed to be the devil, just evil incarnate. Um, yeah. It's all just vague. It's all just yeah. like vague 13 year old kind of writing. Yeah. Now, something I, I, I'm okay with him like being into the occult because this is obviously a universe where the cult is legit, right? Mm-hmm. And so having the bad guy who's kind of like all on board with like someone coming back from dead and killing him, like he's not even like surprised. I'm actually, I was actually okay with it. Was just I didn't, I don't know. It just his his performance to me was just so flat. I don't know. That was just my opinion. I think just compared to like. Because Vincent Perez is going big, Iggy Pop is going big, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. him. So I just think that in comparison, someone just sitting there and like just like talking with like his voice stood out to me. It was like it was almost like the one stable thing. And then of course that all goes out the window in like the last third of the movie when Nicky goes crazy and like so like I didn't like him as much there. <laughs> um, let me do a little henchman roundup. I'm trying to organize okay. this. Let's start with Vincent Castellanos. He played Spider Monkey. <laughs> of course, you're familiar with Spider Monkey. Uh, I believe this is his first movie. Not this, this is his first acting credit, but this is like his first movie. Uh, I would go on to uh, appear in Anaconda. He ended up kind of getting into David Lynchiverse. So he was like in Mulholland Drive and the uh, Twin Peaks season three revival. Um, so, you know, good good for him there. He's also in 2002's The Master of the Skies, starring Dana Carvey. <laughs> um, I, I, he made no impression on me in this. I, <laughs> no, but he had one scene. Right. He was fine in that scene, but like, he, all he had to do was act terrified, which he did. I, I believe that his character was terrified, so. Exactly. I'm going to mess up her name. Twee Trang? who uh, played uh, one of the lead henchmen, I thought, Kali, who's the one who ends up pulling the trigger on uh, this poor guy's son. Uh, The original Yellow Ranger. What? Yep. That's her. (laughs) Uh, 
Wish I had known that. Of course, it makes sense why they let her be like kind of a, you know, she didn't use guns, right? She she used karate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like she kind of has like some martial arts there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did did tragically pass away pretty famously um, a couple of years after that. Uh, I, I thought she was, I thought she was fine in this. I of of the henchmen, she was the one that annoyed me the least, and I mean that, <laughs> I mean that sincerely. Um, I th- it's interesting angle. I don't recall there being like a female bad guy in the first crow. So I guess there's there was not. There was not. I mean, you did have the fem- feminism. I guess I don't know what like, what their name's mother, Sarah's mother, who was mm. not a henchman, but you know, she got a stern talking to from the crow. Yeah, stop doing drugs. She needs you. That kind of <laughs> stuff, right? Yep. Um, yeah, no, she she was perfectly fine. Um. <laughs> Thomas Jane, who plays Nemo, who uh, I saw Thomas Jane's name in the in the opening. I'm like, is that Tom Jane? I wonder. And I didn't look him up. And that's, that's kind of where at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, I guess he wasn't in the movie. And then I then I checked. I'm like, it was him. Like, wh- where, where? I did not recognize him at all. I didn't recognize him at all either. Um, his big signature scene in this i could describe now or i could save it for later because it might be showing up on my awards your choice <laughs> <laughs> let's wait for the awards okay he's really i mean he really is only in one scene i think he's in the background prior to it like he's filming stuff right like that was his character yes okay yeah 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 so yeah. he did have a camera in front of his face in most of his scenes in our defense yeah and he does, um, once the crow starts killing people he does die pretty early on he's like one of yeah. the first to go um but it's a big set piece. And big I think set his, it was his hair and like the fact that everything he was in was really dark or he had a camera in front of his face. I did not realize it was him. I, I, like, I, I really I really like Tom James. Yeah. I mean look, he's like a big leading man now. He shows up in uh, he was in Boogie Nights, he was he wasn't a leading man in that, but uh, he's on the Expanse, uh, hung. He was mm-hmm. playing Mickey Mantle in the sixty one uh, movie from like twenty years ago. Um, uh, he's and, gonna be in. He's gonna be in the series again for the Punisher. He, he will. He's the first uh, first Punisher. The you know played by a human being. <laughs> that came that came out weird, but you know what I mean. First live action Punisher is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So yeah, we will get a chance to talk about Thomas Jane uh, again very soon. And then of course, I mean, there's a couple other uh, not henchmen. But, uh, Grace, the little girl in this, little teenager, Beverly Mitchell. Uh, okay. Most people. So- do you know? Do you, rec- do you recognize her? Do you know? Do you I recognize her. Yeah. Beverly, uh, she wasn't. Okay, no. I'm not gonna go. Uh, uh, Lucy Camden on Seventh Heaven. Oh, this uh, uh, was uh, around uh, the same uh. time. So she was trying to. Uh, this is probably like the year. Yeah, maybe maybe a year before. And her acting credits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I only watched that a little bit. It was not <laughs> on my radar. I, it was not um, a show I watched. But um. Yeah, I went to private school. Uh, I did you for high school at least. I don't know where you went yeah. for. Uh, I don't know. Did you go to public school for grammar? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Um, well, okay. So we, we both went to private school. We would sometimes watch that in religion class. Um, <laughs> Seventh Heaven. Oh, wow. Like, I, I think when the teacher didn't have anything to do that day, it's like, let's watch an episode of Seventh Heaven. <laughs> it's, vaguely re- it's vaguely religious, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. As, as, a, as someone who is a math teacher, I'm, I'm jealous of those English teachers who get to just film a movie for a couple days. Well, they're great essays. Well, here's what you do. You can just when you're like when you think you have nothing, you can just uh, pull up an episode of the show Numbers. 
maybe maybe so just food for thought food for thought um yeah she's a country singer now uh, as well as a member of the growing lifetime christmas movie empire she's in stuff like yeah, candy cane christmas country christmas all the you know whatever all the hey, AI you, you know stuff. you know what it pays the bill for her i don't you know what i am that yeah i i am i'm only mocking the products themselves I, honestly <laughs> if someone gave me a check to go live in that little christmas village for a while and just make 10 of those i would be there the next day absolutely <laughs> I, yes I, i'd be on the flight while you were talking to me on the phone it's steady work and it's never going to go away i um, i i'd be willing to bet because there must have been more with her character right because she's so you could cut her out completely and the movie's not any different it seemed like they had which big is plans, weird and then you never yeah, see her again exactly so maybe she was cut at the same time it's kind of like why even include her maybe because she was on seventh heaven or something i don't know but like why even why did she make the cut here when you could cut her scenes no. with no consequence no idea i no idea i, I maybe they wanted to, maybe they, they thought that her scenes had heart that's probably her, what it was mm. they didn't want to cut like a female part or something i, I don't know i, 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 know. I i'm not sure yeah because like they don't have heart but they kind of seem like they want to have heart right right well i will i will say like the scene where he's like um makes the paper burn up and like i have magic you know you can do it too kind of thing like, i thought that was an okay scene um i just wanted more i'm with you either cut it out entirely or like commit to like, it go with it yeah because that Again, it could, I mean, there's not much that could save this movie. Like, a hundred things would have to change for this to become a good movie. But, like, it could have been the difference between, like, a bomb and, like, a one and a half or something, you know? Yeah, for sure. Two, it could have become a two-star movie. Um, and, of course, the Deftones, local band to, local band to me, I guess, uh, appears themselves, presumably in one of the one of the bondage clubs, I'm guessing. Or maybe 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 they played at the De Los Mortos uh thing but that, that worth mentioning yeah they were they were big band back in the mm-hmm. 90s they had, mm-hmm. they had some hits yeah now speaking of musicians uh i've saved the best <laughs> for last and that is of course iggy pop showing up as a curve i don't think i really need to explain who he is right i mean lead singer of the stooges i want to yeah, be a dog know, uh, he, he, if you don't know who iggy pop is yeah he was just he was just a major part of like the alternative rock movement in the 70s kind of like pre-punk um you've probably heard his songs in various movies he's he had a lot of hits in the 70s and i i haven't like i'm not like a huge iggy pop fan where like i know all the songs but like he's good i like him a lot and uh, he, he has a he has a big reputation it would be i'd be surprised if you hadn't heard of him in fact did i did I hear a slowed down cover of uh, I Want to Be Your Dog in this movie? <laughs> Did I, I hallucinate that? Okay. I didn't catch it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Okay. But yeah. Because one thing I thought was weird, like, you got you pop in this movie. Like, you're not going to, like, use him? Like, the fact that he's a musician at all? Like. No, none of that. You would never know in a million years <laughs> that. Um, she... But boy, he sure is in this movie a lot. And. Um... <laughs> I thought he was awful. What did you think? <laughs> I loved him. I mean, he wasn't good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Iggy Pop was not a good performer in this movie. Um, but I thought he was the only one who was really bringing, like, the right kind of energy to it. You're, you are probably right. I mean, he was entertaining. Like, yeah. 
but like you know entertaining in an awful way see like, no evil yeah no <laughs> see no evil what? wrong place what? wrong time yeah <laughs> he wasn't good he wasn't good in this movie but um i i enjoyed him <laughs> um yeah and he's in it a lot like this is clearly yeah. like this is clearly like their big get it mm-hmm. seemed to me because like he's like he's like leading the charge with like and it makes me down. wonder yeah Maybe everyone else was in the movie just as much as him, but he didn't get any of his scenes cut. It's totally possible. It really is. Um, and he's, he's not like he's like a acting novice. I think he was in... I, I don't remember him in this, but apparently he was in The Color of Money, which is a Martin Scorsese movie. So, um, uh, you know, I don't remember him in it. Wait, Color of Money. Wait a minute. Hold on. Am I losing my mind? Maybe that's not what I think it is. No, that is the sequel to The Hustler. Thank God. Okay, I was like, wait, is there like another one? <laughs> I know. If there's another one, I don't know. But uh, Well, unless I, unless I prove it wrong. But actually, it's not like, a no, it's not like an acting novice. Like, this isn't like his first movie, but it's certainly like bit, probably his most movie <laughs> up to this point. Um, did voiceover stuff for like the Rugrats movie. He was in like Tank Girl. The Nickelodeon movie Snow Day. So, like, you know, it was over. His, that, that reputation of being like a crazy guy, I think, was probably over by the 2000s. But yeah. I also see. At some point, you got to grow up, right? Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Um, I do see. He's apparently the first person to ever do a stage dive. Like, he like, started that. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Mm. It makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I guess he wanted to be in the original Crow, but uh, scheduling wouldn't allow for it. So he had to settle for Crow 2. <laughs> But boy, he made the most of it. Yes, he did. There is no one that looks like Iggy Pop. No, really. there is not. He is he's very distinctive. He's got like those like those eyes and like the long blonde hair and stuff. And like he's just he is born. He is he is in exactly the right job in life. Um, I mm-hmm. will give him that. Uh, you can't. <laughs> you couldn't imagine him working in like in a mechanic shop or anything. But, Actually, uh, when one him working on my car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would come out uh, the same, but uh, he would he would definitely work on it. Um, yeah, I think there's, Iggy Pop may uh, pop up once or twice more in, before this episode is done. Uh, <laughs> not to not to give too much away, but uh, those are my cast notes. Um, is there anything else you want to mention before we jump into our superlatives? Uh, there's. There's one thing. Uh, there's one thing about these movies that I really have trouble um, getting on board with, and that's uh, sorry. yeah, that's the whole like, like there's a scene towards the end of this movie where like the crow Ash is about to like give up and just like die, and his kid comes to him and is like, hey. Finish the job, and then we can be together in heaven. Like, what? what? The I know. moral of this movie is like, murder will set you free. Yeah, it's so nasty and like manipulative and like wrong <laughs> and like. This is why I didn't really like the first crow that much. Um, yeah, it had the honest. same moral, but here it was even even more was, blatant. Yeah, and he didn't have yeah. any of the virtues of the first one. So it was like yeah, it was. It was literal. Like, yeah, no, his, his, he sees his dead kid's ghost going like, 
essentially keep killing so that we can we can go meet god basically yeah yeah it, it is a very like revenge is good series um which is fine you just don't you don't see that too often it's usually like revenge i revenge isn't good like it's not a good moral for a movie no and i understand revenge movies are fun and so i'm not saying i'm against revenge movies as a whole but, but it's weird like, to wrap it around like philosophy and like yeah um a high minor revenge movie feels like an inherent oxymoron yeah unless unless the movie's going to end up saying like everything got worse because of how you went about your revenge right uh, but no, this it, and that's why this whole thing sounds. It feels like a very like fifteen year old kind of thing. Of like it's just like it's it's cool to like, kill and like murder and like play rock guitar and stuff. But this is just like again, I, I had to apologize to the original Crow because this is I first watched that one like halfway through. I was like, this isn't the movie that they think that they're making. They think they think they think that they're making. Like something really deep and profound, and instead, I think they kind of made like an ugly revenge movie. But I didn't know how I didn't know how bad it could get. This is about <laughs> this is. Well, in fact, I think it could get worse than this. At least I think after after this, it does start to get more entertaining as it gets worse. Yeah, well, you know, I think, and we can make a call here. Um, I think we're absolved from having to continue on with the uh, Crow series after this. Um, th- I know the fourth one aired. For like a week in like a theater in like Seattle before going direct to video. I don't know if that counts for our purposes. Well, we, we, we have set this bar at superhero movie that was given a wide release in America. A wide release. Well, I'll tell you this. Crow Salvation number three. Its distributor canceled the intended wide theatrical release through to City of Angels negative reception. So it had a limited theatrical run and then went direct to video. It doesn't sound like we need to cover Crow three. <laughs> well, I guess we can also uh, let the people chime in if you really want us to do it. Send us an email or a comment on Instagram. Oh God, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it but unless Kirsten, they do, I'm going to say no. Yeah, it has Kirsten Dunst in it and William Atherton. So I mean, Walton Goggins is in it. So I mean, there's things to cover. I just don't probably want better it. than this one. I, I can't because this one was so bad. I can't imagine it getting much worse. But maybe that's. Famous last words. <laughs> All right. Superlative time. What we do here is we give out a couple of awards to the movie to kind of cover some topic, talking points that maybe we didn't cover in the general discussion. Uh, it's only a few, and they're all pretty self-explanatory. Uh, we have uh, best line, best use of superpowers, moment you wouldn't see today, best and worst moment, and of course, we have to crown an MVP. Good luck this week. Oh, I know mine, MVP. I know mine too, but I don't. I just. I don't know that we're gonna. <laughs> it's a controversial choice. Um, <laughs> why don't we start? You know what? Let's start with a strong one. I want to start with my best line. Okay. And that's the line from Iggy Pop, where he goes, "Fuck you, bird dick." <laughs> <laughs> that's my best line. Fuck you, bird dick. I stopped trying to track best quote kind of towards the beginning of the movie once I realized how bad the script was. Um, yeah. So I, I'm just going to start with the one I wrote, wrote down, which is um, an early line of dialogue between me and Kirshner's character and little hair like friend, like tattoo artist. And she just, 
I don't know where it goes like, do you believe in fate? And he like responds to her themes. The question is, does fate believe in you? And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, Seems to me it's a question of fate believing in you. So that's my best quote. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, like, there's no point where, like, they were having a conversation and then she was, like, like, you know, decided to, like, ask him a question. Like, no, she was just, like, sitting there and, like, it was, like, supposed to be moody and atmospheric. And, like, she says that out of nowhere and he just has that canned response. <laughs> like, yeah, like why, who, who says that? <laughs> and what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Okay, I think. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. But, I mean, what, it could what I mean, mean it... something, but like, not in the context of what we had so far, in my opinion. I, it just felt like that, that was just an example of the movie, I think, trying too hard to be philosophical. And you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like video game, like dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something yeah. you would see, like, in a cutscene where you're just like, hit X, please, like, just skip this. <laughs> like, um,. Best use of superpowers. What do you got? Um, I don't know if he has the ability to create fire. I don't know if that actually was a magic trick or not, but I did kind of like that scene between him and the drug addict, even if it didn't go anywhere. But when, I, when I think back on this movie, I, that's the, the attempt that I wish it was going for a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and so I, I chose that, like him burning the paper and calling it magic. Uh, seemed like to me he was using superpowers there, but he never used them again, so I'm not really sure. Um, that's what yeah. I think. Yeah, that's fair. I, again, I think it kind of ties to like none of the... Uh, basically, I have two options with these. You can either like, just go full sarcasm and say like something shitty was like good. Or we can <laughs> like I did last time. Yeah, or we can really try to like dig into like the only moments of humanity or like air that we possibly get and like try to turn them into something. Like I think those are like the only routes we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's a valid pick. Again, they, I think it's sort of a superpower in that I think it'd be hard to pull this off without enhanced powers. I did kind of like the vague recurring motif of like the villains dying and then like. A crow shape forms around them so i think like when the yellow power ranger dies like her blood comes out kind of looking like a crow and when mm-hmm. uh iggy pop gets it like there's like these rosary flowers around him that are like in the uh form of crows it, it doesn't really mean anything it's a it's a music video move for sure it is like, definitely a music video move yeah but it's a, it's at least approaching like an interesting visual idea mm-hmm. eh, it's one of the things that's like i'm I don't know if they actually did it for every single henchman out. I think about it. It might've just been those two. Um, no, but... they, they, and well, no, no, because um, when the factory blows up, yes, uh, that's right. the, the glass on the ground was in the shape of a crow and Iggy Pop like realizing it looks just like his tattoo. That's it. Um, that's it. That's why he's freaking out about his tattoo. Yeah. I don't remember the Tom Jane crow thing, but it, it could have been there. I could have forgotten it. I'm willing to bet that it, that it probably was for all four. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's sort of superpower-ish. I mean, I wouldn't be able to make that happen. I have no superpowers, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, moments you wouldn't see today. I just, I straight up don't think you would have seen this in theaters. I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it can't, either they would have, like, pumped a whole lot of money into this and made it longer to try to, like, live off the clout. 
Or this would have gotten dumped straight to streaming. But I don't think you would no, have seen it. No, this would have gone in this MGM condition. Miramax Plus. Uh, one, of the, one of its first movies coming out would have been the sequel to The Crow, right? Chris uh-huh, uh-huh. and it, it would have been still this shitty, but they would have hyped it up a bunch because you have to, and they're hoping you just stick around for the, you know, even if you don't like it, you still check out other things and keep the subscription. Because mm-hmm. I think actually a lot of this, my, you know, with more budget, I think a lot of it translates into modern movies better than I think maybe it seems at first blush. Cause like, this is like how they would like depict like twisted sex and stuff. Right. Like, I don't think they would have changed if they, if they, if they depicted that at all, that's a whole other thing, but. Right. I, I agree. I think, I think Hollywood will still go for like a cheap depiction of things over a more nuanced idea that takes effort just because it's harder to do. It is harder to do. So yeah, I don't think I don't think there's a scenario in 2023 where you're sitting down in a movie theater and like watching this, something that looks like this. That's my choice. What about you? Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I think. Yeah, I think just the whole the whole vibe, the whole like 90s. They don't make movies like this anymore. Not really. No, they don't. That are basically movie music videos. Um, not like this, anyways. Uh, it's kind of a grungy style that I think is mostly kind of kind of just stuck, stuck in the '90s and stayed there. And, yeah. and So that, that's that's kind of my choice. It's just the style is just of the '90s and thus far only in the '90s. Yeah. Good call. Best and worst moment. Do you want to start with best or do you want to start with worst? I mean, what's the difference, really? But um, <laughs> let's do worst. Let's do worst first. What do you have for your worst moment? A hard choice for this one. There's too many options. It's true. Um, one runner-up so I had that I was certain was going to be my, my choice until we got to the end of the movie was his resurrection scene I thought was terribly filmed. <laughs> Oh, it's awful. Yeah, I thought it was just awful. I was like, okay, this. That's when. That's when I was like, okay, there's no way this movie's gonna get better because this just this is so ineptly done. You can't like, really see what's happening. Like, it's not clear. Like, like, it's not clear, and he's like, there's like these bubbles going up, and he's like coming out of the water. But it's also obvious it's been done in a soundstage. Like, it doesn't look like it's done on a pier like it's supposed to. The whole movie was very cheap looking. It's very cheap looking, absolutely. Um, which, which surprises you that it actually made into theaters when it's so cheap looking. But so, so for the whole movie, I'm like, okay, this is my worst scene because this is where I was like, um, <clears throat> this is where I knew the movie couldn't, which just wasn't going to be good. Until the end, when <laughs> when the crow gets captured. <laughs> it was just yes. stupid scene. Okay, so he like he just killed Iggy Pop, right? Right. And he just get back and get on his motorcycle. And of course, Mia Kirshner's character, uh, who I I learned during this podcast was uh, from the original movie. She had gotten captured as bait. How they knew about her relationship with Ash is unclear to me. But Comple- at this completely point, unclear. At this point, I was done questioning things. And so um, I. Uh, 
was I going to say? Yeah. So the crow flies up to the bad guy's tower where Mia Krishna is being captured. And the crow sees Mia Krishna. And of course, Ash can see what the crow sees. So he's like, oh, oh no, Sarah. And so the crow just like hops down, like hops onto the ground. He's like chilling on the ground, like pop, pop, pop. Like there's nothing to even draw him to the ground. <laughs> right? He's just like, I'm just, I just feel like chilling. I'm just going to like hop in the middle of this ground right here. Oh no, a cage. I mean, there's like, yeah, literally, it's like a mouse, like the mouse trap game, where like a little, uh, <laughs> little cage drops on like the player. Yeah, that's like literally what happens. And that's my worst moment. I just couldn't. They they couldn't like that's something no no amount of like editing fixes. Like they couldn't think of something in the script to like actually draw the crow out. Like he had to just jump on the ground and be caught by a cage. <laughs> it's lazy. It's just lazy. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm skeptical that making the movie twice as long makes it better. There's no way. Well, yeah, that scene was twice as long. You would have liked it a little bit more. <laughs> I think. It would have it would have explained why he like hopped down. Well, what they so, cut was scenes of the bad guy throwing bird food on the ground. <laughs> so this is too slow. Cut this part. <laughs> My worst moment is kind of almost like a worst line in a way. Um, I think it's. I, I could be wrong. Like, Iggy Pop sees like. Curve sees like the first murder, like at the warehouse, and like he gets a call, like a payphone, right? Mm-hmm. He picks up the payphone and it's Ash. And he's saying to, he says to Curve, and here's the line Do you know what they call a gathering of crows? Curve? A murder. A murder of crows. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my worst moment. <laughs> That was pretty bad. Fair enough. Yeah. Could have been a good line if he just said like, "Do you know what they call a gathering of crows?" And then he hangs up. But no, they had the they had to actually say it. Then they said it again. And they and say, I told you to think about it. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> oh, whoa! They're gonna murder him. Now I get it. <laughs> My best moment again. This is vaguely sarcastic, but it is like one of the only moments that genuinely made me cackle. And this is where Thomas Jane's big scene comes, right? So the way he the way he dies. He goes down. It's not even like a stripper because he's not dancing or anything. But he goes down to like this room, and like he puts in like tokens, and like this window pops open, this glass window pops open, and it's like this topless dancer who I think is just kind of sitting there. I think he's just like so worked up about the sight of like a naked woman. Well, she's like stripping for him, but like yeah, he has only like a minute, and he's got to pay for more time, so she's kind of yeah. like tantalizing him and stringing him along. Really yeah. So yeah, so Thomas Jane starts uh, jacking off, and um, it's very uncomfortable and weird. It mm-hmm. goes on way too long, but his time runs out, and like the door closes, and it's like, ah, oh, you gotta put more, uh, <laughs> gotta put more tokens in. And he's like, like, ah, god damn it, ah, and he puts in his token, and then the window opens up. It's just the crow sitting there, <laughs> and that made me, that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many questions. Did he work that out ahead of time? Did he just bum rush the room and like kick her out? Like, 
<laughs> was he the dancer? Is that a power that he has? Can he like become other people? Like, well, that's a good question. I never considered that part. I have so many questions. I because mean, you knew when the scene began what was going to happen. Exactly what's gonna- you knew exactly where it was going. Like the thing was going to pop up and the crow was going to be there at some point. But it's just um, so funny. Like imagine, imagine being him. It's like, oh god, no, it's the crow. <laughs> just, it's- Although that, that was another issue I had with this one. Everyone instantly recognized this guy. Like, <laughs> wait, like from, from his tattoo. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, like, at least with the first one, like, people didn't recognize the crow. He had to, like, tell them who he was. And, like, what? That didn't make any sense. You're dead. Like, everyone here, it, like, immediately was like, oh, it's that guy we killed. Um, <laughs> Maybe they didn't kill that many people. So, like, it, it weighed on their souls. Yeah, apparently. Um, Man, yeah. What's best, your yeah. best moment? Um, oh, I don't know. It's okay to say N.A. It has happened before. I know. Well, there's got to be, I guess, I guess the only part that had, like, pathos that I enjoyed that I was trying to go for. I already used this for best power. But, like, that scene where he, like, he, like, tries to get the drug act to stop doing drugs, right? I mean, mm-hmm, it's, it's the only warmth the movie had. Even, like, the love romance angle maybe a lot of that got cut but like that didn't even feel like it had warmth like i didn't actually feel a connection between those two characters right um between ash and uh what was her name again mia Kirsch's character's name uh sarah sarah sarah, sarah. yeah which, which of course that's supposed to be hard in the movie is their romance and so the fact that they completely bumbled that isn't good um but yeah that's uh that's the that's... best i got that was my favorite moment that's not too bad. Listen, Grace. Maybe you want to get some hot coffee and a little bit of food. What do you want? Nothing. That's not too bad. And I wish there was more of that storyline, but or they. I know I'm saying they should have just cut it because it's my favorite moment. That's kind of weird, but like it's it's awkwardly there. But I still kind of like that scene. I think that's valid. I think it's probably the only real best moment. Yeah. Although that scene, did have, that scene did have that did have a weird directional choice where they just like zoomed in on his face and he looked creepy as shit. But um Yeah, he looks so, really he looks really uncomfortable <laughs> in the makeup. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's a good call about the zoom in. <laughs> MVP. I have an inkling who you might have picked, but mm-hmm. uh let's make it official. Yeah, well what, what who do you think I've picked? I feel like you're going to go with Iggy Pop here. You're absolutely right. I want yes. Iggy Pop. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about this fucking tattoo you gave me. Look at this shit. It's a crow. You're right. It's a crow. Did I ask you for a fucking bird on my chest? I, I mean, what needs to be said, really? He is... Yeah. He, he, he didn't have a great performance, but he did have a fun performance. And that's the only performance in this movie I considered <laughs> anything worthwhile. Um, and I felt like once his character, because he's basically like, he almost feels like the main character of the second act of this movie, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like the first act was super boring. I felt like the third act was super boring. The only amount of entertainment I got from this movie was from Iggy Pop in the second act. He <laughs> <laughs> was just... <laughs> <laughs> he was just going for it. Like, he was going all out. He had a lot of energy. He yeah, he was going crazy. 
he committed the stupid stupid lines he was given. Um, he's my MVP. He did not seem embarrassed, like, at all. No. It's honestly not a bad choice for MVP. He's not my choice. I did go Richard Brooks here. I know we, I know we disagree on him. Um, yeah. All right, Ben. Let's see how bad this batch of balls really is. But um, for me, I just think, again, I think – I thought he also brought his own type of correct energy here. I think having someone – who's like a little under the line a little bit, I think was a really good call. I think if he was at a hundred percent the whole time, this thing would have been, would have been really, really obnoxious instead of just like really bad. And I think, I, I think he kind of plays that quiet evil really well, even though he does kind of go crazy at the end. And I think he's way less good in the end, but he's like, I'm the devil. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I think those I, early I, scenes especially kind of made him seem like, oh, like this is this is kind of a creepy villain. I'm curious to see where they go with it. Especially when everyone else is like a like a cartoon character goon. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Fair. Yeah. Again, for me. That's that's mm-hmm. that's where I, that's where I'm at with him. Very tough lasting effect on the genre. Yeah, David Esquire, I think he has some good work ahead of him. He has some bad work ahead of him. I don't think this is representative of what he can really do. Um, but it is his first little foray into here. So we're going to be talking about him quite a bit as we go on. Yeah. But otherwise, this uh, the lasting effect is it put the Crow movies on the direct-to-video track uh, <laughs> permanent, permanently. We're also quickly approaching DC or Marvel-based not existing anymore. Right. Just yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it's going to be one of the very few movies based around a comic character that is not from Marvel or DC. And I, I think the failure of these lesser-known comic companies, as as far as the films go, like the financial failures, mm-hmm. I think that is a worthy kind of anti-influence as well. Like movie studios stop taking risks on these smaller publishers. I think you're right. Because mm-hmm. this is like the era for it, like right here. I mean, we didn't really, Tank Girl's not really like a uh, superhero, at least in my estimation. But like, you know, that was a movie that has like some cult success, but I don't think it was like a huge uh, financial success. Barb Wire's up there too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am really trying to think about like, are there any like mid to major? I mean, obviously there's like original superhero projects that are kind of like smaller, like James Gunn's like super and stuff like that. But like, for the most part, um, yeah, everything is like a IP from Marvel or DC, unless it's like maybe Hellboy. I guess Hellboy's not really either of those. Um, Hellboy, yeah, Hellboy would be a, a good count example. I don't know, he's a superhero. Hellboy, Hellboy counts. Hellboy um, counts absolutely. He counts, but unfortunately, his the success, relative success of Hellboy, hasn't lent, led to more of those IPs being made. No, in fact, I think the, like what happens is they made Hellboy, and it's like they almost like poach the talent to like go make Marvel and DC movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that that's it is an infamous bomb. I will give it that. I mean, that that, that sounds like a backhanded uh, compliment, but it is like it is an infamous enough bomb that I think it did it did kind of rattle. Uh, Miramax. I'm wondering if Miramax even stayed in the uh, superhero game long term after this. I think this is kind of where they, they kind of shifted focus to like uh, Oscar wins after this, right? Is this kind of like the? I think so. The era of like all the kind of money balling. It's possible, uh, 
Yeah, and it's possible, um, you know, they they just weren't interested in making superhero movies, which might be why they meddled so much with this one in negative ways. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, but that's it on The Crow. Uh, one thing left to do in this episode, and then uh, we'll mercifully be done. Uh, you know, we opened this episode giving you the review of a professional reviewer, that being Leonard Malton. Uh, what did we give The Crow, City of Angels? Uh, again, this is where we kind of rate, rate the movie out of 10. 10 what? That's up to us. Uh, Jimmy, do you want to start us off? Well, um, I would have to give this um, two prophetic paintings out of ten. <laughs> That's exactly where I landed. Two prophetic, almost, or pathetic paintings out of ten, um, if one were to be so bold. I wouldn't say that. Uh what what would you what would you give our show out of five? Uh, <laughs> that's up for you to decide. Uh, if you want to hop on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and uh, give us a listen, give us a, uh, a subscribe, give us five stars or four stars or whatever you want, but don't tell us about it if it's like less than four. Um, that's 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 the deal. Yeah, that's the best the best deal. We have our whole archive of other superhero movies we've done that predate Crow City of Angels, if such a thing can be imagined. Um, there are actually better movies out there than uh, Crow City of Angels. Uh, we also have our backlog of old uh, classic Doctor Who watch rewatch episodes. We've covered all of the first four seasons at this point, I believe. Yep. If I have You're my down. schedule in my head yep. right, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we've entered the second Doctor era, so uh, that's always exciting. You can check those out and check out our uh, Halloween content from last year. Um, talking about uh, the Universal Monster movies, The Essentials, Frankenstein, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Invisible Man. You should uh, watch those, uh, listen to those, rather, one more time. Well, watch them, too. Many of them we really, we really like. Yeah, they're all great, <laughs> pretty much. Oh. It's a, it's a I, there was one I think we didn't like so much. But. Uh, the Mummy wasn't great, uh, but... Uh... <laughs> You should still listen to that episode and watch us kind of deal with it in real time. But not mm-hmm. only should you listen to them because they're great episodes about some uh, fine films, but because it'll uh, lead, <laughs> it'll lay the groundwork for what we're doing next week and for the next several weeks thereafter. And I don't know if it's kind of fortuitous because this uh, Crow movie was set during a, a Halloween, Dia de los Muertos, right? Um, yeah, it's Halloween time, right? Yeah. It's kind of perfect because, um, getting a little spooky out there on the feed uh very soon jimmy uh do you want to set up what we're doing well so like you said we watched those you know the what universal considered the essential like this is a label they gave these movies you know and you list them already you know the bella lugosi dracula boris Karloff's franken frankenstein and bride of frankenstein we did invisible man mummy all these classic universal movie monster movies you know creature from the black lagoon um but we didn't do any of their sequels outside of Bride of Frankenstein. We just did like the classics. Mm-hmm. So this year for Halloween, we're going to do all those follow-ups. We're going to do like the, the next couple movies in in the respective series. You know, yeah, the, it's like Invisible Men follow-ups. Uh, there's a couple. There's a lot of Frankenstein sequels beyond just Bride of Frankenstein too. Which there is, are, yeah, it's nuts. 
not as many That's... Wolfman as I as I expected, but we're still going to do that the sequel. Yeah. yeah, we'll figure that out. Um, and so you know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick it off. So we're gonna start off. We're not gonna go in order this time. Last last time we did this, we did this in order it was released. Uh, this time we're gonna we're grouped them by franchise, and we're starting off with the Creature from the Black Lagoon franchise. We already did the first one last year, and this year we're gonna do the two sequels. Revenge of the Creature and the Creature Walks Among Us. It'll be a double feature next Monday. Almost like we're picking up where we left off, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so check that out. And the superhero movies will return uh, in November. And boy, uh, we'll be picking it back up with a big one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, in November, we'll be doing Batman and Robin. You can check out our website. uh, That's uh, popculturehistoriespodcast.wordpress.com. Life lesson for the crow. Um, people, you got to stop. <laughs> you got, if you're a gangster, you got to stop killing people um, <laughs> who are going to seek revenge on you. That, you know there's a crow out there now. It's, it's happened twice. Just stop doing it. If nothing's going to reform you, if that's not going to like change your you know, life of crime, nothing's going to, right? It's true. Um, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Unless you can capture it and turn yourself into a god. But that's true. Then, that I mean, is- but and even that, it's a, a little it didn't really work out for him. So yeah, it's kind of zero for two on that plan so far in the crow crow reverse. Um, and you might say that oh, that's kind of a half-assed life lesson. Well, it's for a half-assed movie. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Uh, Halloween stuff starts next week. We'll be back with Batman and Robin in November. Until then, I'm Ryan. That's Jimmy for the Pop Culture Historians. Good night.